this uh, journey through the Bible, especially as we've now come through Genesis, has introduced us to a number of characters with a number of weird twists and turns, and, and it's, it's, it's intriguing to be able to learn from these people. Wayne Cordero uh, calls these characters in the Bible his friends, and he, he mentions it, it's good to learn from your friends, both from those things that they do well or do right and those things that they do poorly so that you don't have to follow them in their mistakes. But the, so, the story of Joseph is just an intriguing one with twists and turns. You'll remember from Genesis 30, uh, it says this, God has taken away my disgrace. Rachel named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. The, the, the name Joseph means uh, both taking away and adding. And the, the idea that, that Rachel is indicating that God has taken away my shame because I've been barren and he's added to me a son. It's, a, it's an intriguing story leading up to this point because you'll remember that, that Rachel was the wife that Jacob loved which maybe instantaneously could bring into your heart and mind a little bit of sadness for Leah, the wife that maybe he didn't love quite so much. It seems to be a flaw, this loving someone more than another, because as we go on in the story, it tells us in Genesis 37 of Joseph, it says, now Israel loved Joseph more than his brothers, excuse me, more than his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe. This is a problem in a family. When, when you say to one child that you love them more than the other, you can expect that that might generate some conflict. Now, I happen to be the youngest of three boys. So those of you who are older siblings... Uh, might recognize your voice in my brother's voice when they said, I was spoiled. Because I often didn't have to wait quite as long, that is to certain ages before I was allowed to do the things that they had to wait to do. And so they thought of me as spoiled rotten. Maybe they're right. But this, this favoritism that uh, Joseph experiences uh, doesn't, doesn't bode well. And this fancy coat that he's given that his, his brothers don't get is, is just a symbol of this growing problem uh, that comes up. Uh, but it, you know, it might not just be Joseph's problem because look what God does, right? God gives Joseph a couple of dreams and here's one of them. Uh, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Maybe he should have kept it to himself. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Wow. They're not happy about this image. And there was a second dream that essentially communicated the exact same thing so that his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams 
and what he had said. So Joseph is having a kind of an up and down experience. He hears from his father that he's the loved son. He's given gifts and blessed. He even hears from God that, that he's going to be especially blessed. But he's not getting treated so well from his brothers. And eventually uh, that gets really bad. Well, it's not as bad as it could be. They actually set out to kill him, but they halfway through decided, well, well let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Minor detail. But it is interesting that as they sold him into slavery, from that moment on, he, referred, he was referred to as being dead. Dead to them, dead to the family, dead to his father. We're going to find out later that, that this action of theirs actually proves not to bring death, but to bring life. Because then he goes from lying in a pit thinking he might be killed and sold into slavery to being bought by Potiphar, one of the, the leaders in Pharaoh's court. And, and God begins to, it's, the word says, bless everything he does. How does that sound? Wouldn't you like it if God blessed everything you did? Now, the, here's the interesting thing, though, as a slave. When God blesses everything you do as a slave, who benefits your master, right? You don't, you don't get the benefit. I mean, you might get some of the benefit, but you don't get the benefit that your master gets. And so that goes on for a while, and he's put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, and everything's going well, except there is this little problem that he's apparently quite attractive. And Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to have her way with him, and he refuses, and, and so he goes from being dying in a hole, to a slave, to elevated to lead the household, to being thrown in prison. Ups and downs. And ups and downs. And I'm thinking to myself, what's going on here? And I'm just wondering if you recognize with me that there might have been a problem with Joseph's blessings. Do you think he started out maybe being a little arrogant? Do you think that he might have contributed at least a little bit to bring in this stuff on himself because he just thought he was this hotshot guy? I certainly see that. And what I see is, is that God uses these hardships to humble him. I've been humbled a few times. Anybody relate? In the end, it's not really a bad thing, but boy, at the moment, it doesn't feel very good. And you kind of wonder if you're ever going to recover. But of course you do. And of course, Joseph did. Because as Joseph is sent to prison, he continues to serve. He continues to be a blessing to the guards and to the other prisoners. And when the cupbearer and the baker show up and they have these dreams, Joseph interprets their dreams. Not so good for the baker, but the cupbearer you know, makes it. And he asked, Joseph asked the cupbearer, you know, when, when, when you get returned to, restored to Pharaoh's house, speak well of me. Don't forget me. Of course he does for a while. Forget him. Until 
Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh's asking everybody to interpret this dream, and nobody can. And so Joseph gets another chance to be elevated from that place of humility and exalted. But here, as it comes to Pharaoh's dream, we see that there might have been a bit of a change of heart in Joseph. And perhaps we can look at our own lives and see that there are times when we've gone through some hard stuff that our hearts are changed a bit. Maybe we move forward a little differently. And so we hear that Pharaoh calls Joseph in. And in chapter 41 of Genesis, he said, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph says, I cannot do it. And you and I are thinking, what do you mean you can't do it? You've been doing it over and over. All these dreams you've been having and interpreting. But you see, Joseph has realized that he's dependent upon God. That the, the ability to interpret the dream is, it comes from God. That it's not his ability. And that if God is going to do it, then God has to do it. And so he acknowledges in humility that God can do it. He says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Now, in my discussions with people this week, as they had been reading this, I realized that some people had maybe slightly misunderstood that last word, he desires, that God will give Pharaoh what he desires. I just want to remind you that in the story previous to this, what we've learned is that Pharaoh desires the interpretation of the dream. He's not asking for some promise. He's not asking for a Cadillac. He's not asking for it to be BMW. He's, he's asking to have someone who can tell him what the dream means, and now he's going to get that desire fulfilled as Joseph tells him what the dreams mean. And of course, for the first seven years, that's a good thing. He tells him that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of severe famine. And Pharaoh realizes, and Joseph tells him, you know, you've been given this dream for a reason. You've been given this dream so that you can prepare, so that you can make it through the seven bad years by living correctly with the seven good years. You can, you know, store food up so that you're going to be okay in the long run. And he comes to uh, Joseph, or he stays with Joseph there in chapter 41, and he says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Wow, let's talk about exaltation. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. There's a beautiful image here in this symbolism. And what it means is that Joseph now has all the authority of Pharaoh. When Joseph declares something is going to be done, he uses Pharaoh's signet ring and he puts it on and it is the law of the land. Anything Joseph says he wants to happen now will, in fact, happen. But I want you to think about being in Egypt, and there's this seven years of plenty where the new guy in charge, the 
Hebrew kid that Pharaoh lift up is taking most of it away and putting it into uh, storerooms. You're, you're bearing a lot of fruit on your farm, but guess what? Most of it gets put in the storeroom. They don't seem to benefit in these years of plenty from the plenty because it's kept from them. Until, of course, the seven years of drought come. And now they're really grateful to have the food. In fact, God has used this journey of Joseph, including his brothers selling him into slavery, to save the world. Egypt and the surrounding areas now have food to eat because of Joseph's wisdom during that seven years of, of good and seven years of famine. Including his brothers. So Joseph is put in this place, and I want to remind you that this place he's put in is a place of, of ultimate authority, but it's to the benefit of Pharaoh and to the benefit of the people. And so then his brothers show up. His brothers come to Egypt because they have, they have no food in Canaan, and their, fa his fa their father sends them, go get some food from Egypt, go buy some food. And so they come to Joseph, and it says this. Now Joseph was the governor in the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Dream fulfilled. Right? Or maybe not so right. The dream is fulfilled, but the way they understood the dream is not necessarily fulfilled because, you see, they thought that by bowing down to Joseph, like the sheaves and the stars, that they were going to be ruled over by Joseph. But what's really happening here? They're begging for their lives. They're asking Joseph to save them. They're not being put down. They're being lifted up. And what we want to see from the story, what we want to understand about our God is that's God's purpose when he lifts us up. It's not so that we can celebrate having abundance. It's so that we can use that abundance to be a blessing to others. He puts Joseph in this place so that he can not only forgive his brothers, but save their lives. How often have you seen in your life people that have gone through truly difficult times? Addiction. And as they manage their sobriety, they become to help many others who are addicted to find that way to daily sobriety. Those who are grieving deeply find a way to come forward and to begin to help others who are grieving themselves. We're working right now to put together a program. We think it's going to be called Grief Share, where, where we can come together as a community of faith to support one another in the grief. This 
is how God works. He blesses to be a blessing. He finds a way to move through the hardship and difficulties of our lives to set us up to use those very things to help and nurture others who go through the same. They were bowing down to Joseph, but they were bowing down so that he could save their lives. And that's exactly what he does. Now the story goes on as Joseph saves his family. The brothers are really nervous. Uh, They still understand, oh yeah, remember, this guy is the guy we sold into slavery. This is the guy that we were going to try to kill. This is the guy who knew we hated him because of our jealousy. And now he's in a position of power and he might get us back. They're terrified. And so even when their father dies, they think, okay, now he's just been nice to us while dad was alive. Now he's going to get us. And he says that profound statement that we need to hear and recognize in our own lives what they intended for evil, God intended for good. Or maybe another way to say it is what they intended for evil, God used to save his people. And literally to save the world. But it's not quite that simple. Because as we move to the end of the book, as we move to chapter 50, Joseph dies. And we come to realize that this family journey that they've been on, that this salvation to the family in the land of Goshen with plenty, ends up being the beginning of the 400 years of slavery. And we're going to move quickly into Exodus and we're going to hear the story of how God comes with Moses to rescue his people from 400 years of slavery. And those there who had been humbled are now going to be lifted up. They are going to be moving from slave people to God's chosen people. They are going to be blessed to be a blessing even as we are. They're going to be humbled, but they're going to be lifted up. And they're going to discover, and hopefully we have discovered, that the fullness of life is found in humbleness and in service to the living God. We are blessed to be a blessing, and Jesus himself gives his life on the cross so that we might be lifted up from death to life eternal. Thanks be to God. Amen.